So we kick off our sermon series um, for the next 12 to 13 weeks. We will be in Moments with Matthew. And after Pastor Ryan said that last week, uh, and he started his sabbatical, it got me thinking. I think he even kind of referenced it. Like, this is not Moments with Matthew. Like, I'm, I might be Pastor Matthew, but I'm, this is not my thoughts, my stories throughout this sermon series. It's moments in the, the gospel of Matthew. Uh, so I will make sure I stick with the word. Uh, but I did want to make sure uh, we were clear with that. And this morning, we get to kick it off looking at the nativity. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 25. And as you're turning there, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 25, this is one of my favorite times of the year. Like even in all of the, the busyness and going different directions, um, our family tries our best and, and we fight to make time to, to just slow down, kind of like what I did in that prayer, slow down uh, to look at his faithfulness of the years past, specifically this year, and then to, to kind of look ahead. Like, God, what would you have for us this next year? It's close of a year, start of a new year, um, and we do that by gathering as a family, usually with lots of, uh, lots of good laughs. On one side of the family, we have some amazing Italian food. On the other side of the family, we, we do steak and shrimp. And so, like, those are some beautiful traditions that we have as a family. Potentially, this might happen. You might have some pretty gnarly fights amongst siblings as you gather again, or aunt and uncles, or whatever that looks like. Like, I get that. That's a reality. If it didn't happen at Thanksgiving, it'll probably happen at Christmas. Um, but nonetheless, yes, hey, it doesn't have to happen. It could. It very well could. But nonetheless, it's a time to reflect on the faithfulness of God, on who he is and what he has done, not just in the here and now, but from generation to generation. We are able to see God's story play out in nativity and his promises fulfilled to us as his children, to hear the birth of Christ read in just a moment, and to read in our gatherings, to think about the beauty and the majesty, the faithfulness of God through his son, what joy that brings to my heart. Precious baby boy born in a manger. He is faithful, church, and he is true. And as we enter into this week leading up to Christmas, my prayer for us is that we would hear the word of God this morning in a way that kind of uh, maybe it, it shapes our mindset or maybe it reorients our, our heart as we go into all the busyness and who do we still got to get gifts for, that it would just pause for just a moment, reshape how we look at things this week, but also in the season and in our everyday rhythms of life. Prayer is that we focus our attention on what the birth of Christ means for us as Christians, as believers. J.I. Packer says this, it is here, in the thing that happened at the first Christmas, that the most profound and most unfathomable depths of the Christian revelation lie. Man, may our hearts be captivated with the fascinating glory in the midst of such a familiar story to all of us as we focus on the faithfulness of God. So let's do that. Matthew 1, 18 through 25, just to kind of give you some context. He takes the first, Matthew takes the first part of chapter 1 uh, and gives us this wide-angle camera lens, if you will, that kind of uh, focuses on the big picture of salvation history as he maps out the genealogy of Christ. I'm not going to read that, but that's kind of that first part. And this helps set the stage, honestly, for a lot of things. But especially, we see the faithfulness of God 
uh, through specific prophecies fulfilled, the lineage of, of, uh, of Christ and, and, and the family that he comes from. And it confirms that Jesus is the promised one, that all of scripture points to this Jesus, to this Messiah, to Emmanuel that you will see this morning. And so then Matthew he begins to, to kind of narrow in this focus, and he solidifies to us what Jesus truly is, and that is from the line of David. And then in our scripture this morning, he shifts our attention uh, to the text, and it's here that we see how Jesus came about, which is quite important for our Christian heritage as brothers and sisters in Christ. So the first thing I want us to see this morning is that. How did Jesus come to us? Look at verses 18 and 19. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her, her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. Now at this point, Mary and Joseph, they're engaged. To, to put things in context, it's important to understand what engaged meant in the first century. So it was much more of a binding contract, if you will, this binding culture, uh, this binding promise, covenant to one another, much more than it is in our culture today. Um, once you were engaged during this time, you were essentially legally bound to one another. It was a big deal. It was a big deal for Mary and Joseph to be engaged. And without going into an anatomy or a biology lesson for our children this morning, I do want to make sure that we see that Matthew says that Mary was pregnant before they came together. Like here, here's why this is key for the birth of Jesus, for us as Christians. He was born to a virgin mother. Now those are two words that don't go together, right? Virgin and mother. Unless, of course, we're talking about the story, uh, the birth of Jesus. So the, the thing we, we've got to take away from this right now is that this is a supernatural birth. You will see in this passage that this is a supernatural birth. In other words, Mary was with child before she and Joseph consummated their marriage physically. Again, a big deal. It's a supernatural birth, and it has serious implications for Joseph, for both of them, but specifically Joseph in this culture. He had several options at this point. We see that he could, option one, he could go public and essentially shame Mary, right? They're, they're engaged to be wedded, and he finds out his wife is pregnant, so he has these two options. He can go uh, public and shame Mary, or what's his other option? He can quietly divorce her. That's it in this culture. There's no, um, there's no gray area. There's, it's black and white. It is very, these are your options. And we see Joseph's heart revealed here to us. What does it say? Being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, Joseph decided to divorce her secretly. Out of a righteous compassion, he chose to divorce her Now, being on this side of the story, like it's, it's easy for us to read this and to like lean into the mystery and we know the miracle that's taken place here, the virgin birth. We clearly see it in the text and in Luke's text. We clearly see it in Isaiah as it prophesies of the Messiah to come. Like we're on this side of the text. But put yourself in the young couple's shoes here. 
Mary and Joseph, to be wedded. Mary had never been with or had a physical relationship with a man, and now she finds herself pregnant. Imagine her thoughts. Imagine her emotions. As all of this has taken place, and then let's say you're, you're Joseph in this, engaged to the, to the woman that you love, but then you find out that she's pregnant. I mean, this must have been absurd to him, right? Like this had to just be absurd. Take a moment, walk in Joseph's shoes, breathe the air that he was breathing at this time. This wasn't just a story that, that you see unplay in 20, uh, play out in 24 hours. This is, this is a process here. Just agony and, and trying to figure out what is happening. How would you feel if you were in his situation? And then to top it off, an angel of the Lord appears to him. This is the, the Weaver translation and basically says, you'll see in just a second, but he says, Joseph, Mary, uh, you know, Mary's going to give birth to the son son in which that you, you had no part in bringing uh, about. But hey, Joseph, don't worry about it. It's okay. His name's going to be Jesus. He's going to save people from their sins. He's kind of a big deal. Also, people have been talking about him for a long time. Like, you know the story, right? Like, this is who I'm talking about. Big gulps, huh? Well, see you later. Like, that's, like, that's what happens in this story. An angel of the Lord appears to Joseph the confusion, the fear, the anxiety that plays into this. What are people going to say, Mary? What are people going to, they're going to look at us. What are they going to say? What are they going to do? What are we going to do? Do we even know what this means for us? How? Let's just not skip past the, how is this even possible? Wrestling with that. Now let's look at verses 20 through 23. I want us to camp out here for a few moments. Uh, verses 20 through 23 says this, But after he, Joseph, had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, key context, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Angel knows that he's afraid. He hears this, finds out that Mary's pregnant. Like the, the beauty and sovereignty of what's happening here. Angel appears. Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And you, Joseph, are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Now, if you're not a Christian here this morning, you probably are a bit skeptical of this whole God thing, much less the, the text that we're in. Because historically, as a non-Christian, there are two things that make it really hard for you to look past. Number one, the birth of Jesus, and number two, the resurrection of Jesus, both of which are supernatural. Like, it's, it's, it's hard to look past that, Right? The Bible being acclaimed as both historical and accurate by so many points to multiple prophecies here being fulfilled just in context, just in context to the virgin birth of Jesus. 
some 700 years before, as Matthew was writing this, we see, uh, writing this in chapter 1, the prophet Isaiah says in chapter 7, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. What do we do with the prophecies? What do we do with those that have been fulfilled regarding Jesus? I'm glad you asked. You may not have, but I'm glad you de- you're, you're thinking it. Like, what do you do with that, Matt? Well, one professor uh, kind of helps set the stage for this. Mathematically, he, he worked through this scenario. What would it take for one man to fulfill uh, eight prophecies that you're going to see? So mathematically, the probability that one man, specifically Jesus, would fulfill that many prophecies. He conducted a study um, over 600 students spread out across 12 different classes, two campuses. They all studied each prophecy in detail, looking at all the ways. This, mind you, this is not a Christian campus. This is not a seminary. This is a professor setting out to figure out the probability of how can one man fulfill so many prophecies, looking for all the ways that men might have conspired over the years together to fulfill these prophecies in this 700-year span And as they made their estimates, they did it in a way that was conservative enough so that it was unanimous even by the most skeptical students. So it wasn't just like this Christian survey that went out to everybody who clicked on Christian ads on Facebook. Like this was a broad spectrum, invited in skeptics and even scientists. The professor took those um, results, those conservative estimates, and he made them even more conservative. And then he went one step further. He sought out skeptics or scientists across the nation to make their own estimates, gave them time and space to work through this, to come up with the conclusions that were more than fair. So it wasn't just, again, this one mindset. And here are the results. After examining only eight different prophecies, things that were said that have come true, they estimated that the chance of one man fulfilling all eight prophecies was 10 was 1 in 10 to the 17 zeros, whatever that number is, 10 to the 17th zeros. 1 in 10 to the 17th. To help better understand that number, um, he, he went on to explain that would equate, equate to taking 10 to the 17th dollars, uh, silver dollars, laying them out all over the face of Texas. So you have these silver dollars covering the state of Texas two foot high. That's how many um, 10 to the 17 zeros is. He took one permanent marker, he made one mark on a silver dollar, he shook them all up over the entire state of Texas, two foot tall, he blindfolded a man, and he said, all right, I want you to go out, and I want you to, you've got one shot to find that one silver dollar with the mark on it. Blindfolded him, sent him out. He could go anywhere in the state. What, would, what chance would he have of picking the one with the mark? the same chance that the prophets would have had when writing eight different prophecies and having them all come true in regard to just one man, and his name is Jesus. Significant truth when you see prophecies fulfilled. Like, friends, we have to do something with this. We have to to work through this supernatural birth, the prophecies that were fulfilled in the Savior of the world being born of a virgin. Christian or not, we have to work through this. Now, I believe, uh, if that's you this morning, that in his goodness and out of his great mercy, you are here this morning. He loves you and he is pursuing you. In that same way today. So we see the birth of Christ is supernatural birth. 
The second thing I want us to see is that the work of Christ is supernatural. Now, what do I mean by that? Look at verse 21. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, all throughout Jesus's ministry, we see the supernatural work being done, right? That he came to heal the sick, to feed the hungry, to bless the poor, to bind the brokenhearted, to deliver the demon-possessed. But perhaps one of the most supernatural things that Jesus does is that he came to rescue the lost. One commentary says this, The virgin birth has regularly been understood as a way by which Jesus could be both fully human and fully divine. His father, in essence, was God through the work of the Holy Spirit. His mother was the fully human woman, Mary. As fully God, Jesus was able to pay the eternal penalty for our sins, for which finite humanity could not atone. As fully human, he could be our adequate representative in our substitutionary sacrifice. Family, would you hear this good news this morning? That out of his immeasurable goodness and mercy, the creator of the universe came to us. Through a virgin supernatural birth, he came into us. uh, He stepped into this fallen world full of sin We were in desperate need of a savior, in desperate need of some divine solution. And this was not something you or I could do. We couldn't. We are dead, scripture says, to our sin. The solution came through the supernatural virgin birth of a baby who was fully man and yet fully God. And his name is Jesus, and he came to save people from their sins. That's the good news. He came to save people from their sins. In verse 21, he, Jesus, was able to pay your debt. He, Jesus, took the penalty of your sins, of my sins, for which none of us could atone for. He, Jesus, is your adequate representative in our substitutionary sacrifice. It's at his name, the name of Jesus, that every knee will bow and tongue will confess. Why? Why is that? Because what other God offers a sacrifice to his own followers? That's why every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. What other God comes to his own people and says, I'll provide the way? There is none other like the name of Jesus. There is none other like our God. Man, that's good stuff. We see it in scripture. He came to save our sins. Tony Morita captures the beauty of Christ's supernatural work on our behalf. And this is what he says. Jesus takes the hurts in our lives and he turns them into joy. Jesus takes the suffering in our lives and he turns them into satisfaction. Supernatural. Jesus takes the rebellion in our lives and he clothes us now in his righteousness. Jesus takes the sin in our lives and he brings us salvation. What a miracle salvation is. That he would take my dead heart, your dead heart, and he would give us a new one. Like That's the supernatural work of Christ. You see it in the supernatural birth. You see it right here. When Matthew says that he came to save sinners, the supernatural work of Christ. And now we see a beautiful truth played out here, the supernatural presence of Christ. Look at verse 22 and 23. 
Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Emmanuel does not mean God was with his people at that point in history. It means that God was, and he is, and he will always be. He's a God that has no beginning, and he has no ending. His presence is the same yesterday, today, and it will be the same tomorrow. It's the same presence that went before his people in Israel, that led them out of exile with the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. It's the same powerful presence we read in Isaiah 43. Listen and hear this word. Now, this is what the Lord says. The one who created you, Jacob, and the one who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and the rivers will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, and the flame will not burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, and your Savior. He is the same presence of the Spirit of truth that Jesus himself tells us in John 14, where he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the Spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't know him. It doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. And it's the same powerful presence that, we, that equips us to walk in the spirit of obedience found in Romans chapter 8 where it says, Now if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Let me read that again. If the same, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. Christian, he has rescued you from your sin and he has reconciled you to the father. You do not walk this life alone. He is with you then, he is with you now, and he is with you forever. He is faithful and he is true. And this morning we boast in the name of Jesus. Everything about our gatherings boast in the name of Jesus. Through his supernatural birth, his supernatural work of saving and reconciling people to the Father, and his supernatural presence, the Holy Spirit that he has bestowed upon us. So what do we do with that? Some of y'all are like, man, man, Matt, I hear you. That sounds great and all, but you just don't know what's happening in my life. What What do we do with that this week, this Christmas season? We respond as the word of God, as Joseph does. Look at verse 24 and 25. When Jesus woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son. And what did he do? He named him Jesus. Church, Joseph had the heart of obedience. He didn't ask for more time to try to figure things out. He didn't ask the angel, like, hey, man, can you give me, let's do this 24-hour. 
rain check. Let's circle back with me tomorrow. We'll work through this. He didn't ask for more time. He didn't try to, to figure things out in his own ways. All we know is his response recorded in Scripture. He took responsibility. He sacrificed his reputation, and he wedded the vulnerable Mary. And then he raised a child who was not biologically his own. And what it might, and, and while it might seem that Joseph just stands in the back quietly in the background of the Christmas story, it kind of just looks like that, right? Like he's just in the background. That's exactly what makes him the, a hero of faith that we see in the scriptures. He did this because he trusted that Jesus was who the angel said he was. That's why he did it. He took God at his own word, and that was enough for him. That was enough to push him and say, all right, I'm all in on this. Whatever you say, God. So when God says, I'll never leave you or forsake you, like that, that's a guarantee, Christian. It's a guarantee. Or that when he says that he is your refuge and your strength, a helper in times of trouble, you can bank on that. As you try to figure things out on your own and you try to work for this or you try to earn your salvation or you try to do this, you can bank on the word of God. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is your refuge and he is your strength, a helper in times of trouble. Or when we read that neither death nor life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers nor height nor death or any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing will separate us and you can bank on that because it is true, it is right, and it is a promise covenant from Jesus himself. We can be confident in the sustaining power of our creator. Or how about this, when God says there's coming a time where he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, death will no longer exist, grief, crying, and pain will no longer exist. That too, to my brothers and sisters who are grieving or who, who cannot stand this time of the year because of a lost loved one or, or separation or whatever that is, this word is true. There will be a day. There will be a day, and we can bank on that. It is a guarantee, and God is faithful to see his word through. He is Emmanuel, as we see in the scripture. He is God with us. The creator who created the universe is breathing life into you, into your lungs at this very moment. One more, Isaiah speaks about the Messiah, Emmanuel, to come, that he would bring good news to the poor, that he would heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to confront and provide for all who mourn, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. This is the greatest news that we could receive as a broken world. It's the greatest news, and hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. We see that so clearly here. So this, this Christmas, like this, this is good news for me. This is good news for you. And if you're wrestling with that, there's a time of response here in just a moment that, that you're going to have a chance to just kind of work through that. But why it's good news for me is because that's what I'm banking on. That's the hope that I am banking on in this life. And here's why I can bank on that. Because everything that he's said is true. 
Everything that he's promised has come through. He loves me. He's pursued me. He's given me a new heart. And how do I know that? Because I was dead to my sin. I know that to be true. And I am not the same person I was before I met Jesus, before he gave me a new heart. This Christmas season, you have to ask yourself, who are you putting your hope in? Who are you putting your hope in? And I pray that you be reminded of his supernatural birth this week, that you be reminded of the supernatural work of Jesus, and that you'd also be reminded of his supernatural presence that he promises us. And then would that be enough for us to respond with a heart of obedience, to follow after him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. God, we thank you that um, we can bank on Scripture, that this isn't just a good idea for me. It's not moments with Matthew. It's moments in your word, truth. God, that we're able to see our brokenness before you. God, I thank you for a time to just pause, maybe to hit reset, maybe to think through our sin and our suffering and our past or maybe even current situations that we find ourselves in to wrestle with this. Is God faithful? Where do I find my hope? Do I run to someone or to something or do I run to the word of God and do I bank on his faithfulness? Father, I thank you for not just a good story, but just the, the prophecies that have been fulfilled that points to the supernatural birth. Thankful that you um, give new hearts to dead people, that you are still in the business of saving lives. God, if there's anybody here wrestling with that this morning, Father, I pray that they would just pause for a minute. Know that this is a, a safe place to work through those um, skeptical things, what's keeping them from truly pursuing you. I pray, Lord, that you would just open up their eyes to the beauty of your word, that you would put a brother and sister in their life to come alongside them, to graciously point them to your truth. God, and that we would take your word for, for what it is. It's your word. It's the one thing that we can bank on. God, we love you. We praise you. I pray that as we go into this time of response that you would just um, convict our hearts. Lord, reveal to us areas that we need to um, confess and repent of. Lord, if there's a brother or sister that we need to go and ask for forgiveness of, I pray that that supernatural work that you tell us about in your word, that supernatural presence is the same presence today that convicts and restores and renews Lord, I pray that you would have freedom to do that, that your spirit would reign in this place as we sing and proclaim your good songs, your good truth, Lord, that you would minister to our hearts. God, we need you. You're all we have. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.